final episode of our season, we say goodbye to 2020 and good fucking riddance. It's been a hard year for all of us, to say the very least. Let us entertain you one last time before the new year. Today, we interview Sammy Sweezy, creator of Desperado and a screenwriter based out of London. He is fascinated by questions of religion, faith, death, and colonization, and how they are all intertwined. Let's consider how these things had influenced even the things we thought it could not touch, right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hello, and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, Elena Fernandez-Collins. Last week, we introduced you to Desperado's three protagonists and their histories, and encounters with death deities and otherworldly powers. Elio, Shinji, and Talia have many adventures ahead of them on their journey to Europe. They barely survive the voyage, join a circus, meet a witch, and must hide their identities, just to start with. Sammy Sweezy studied screenwriting at the London Film Academy and has written the script to a web series before producing Desperado. His work features family at its core, biological and chosen, dysfunctional and supportive, as well as the reach of the long arm of colonization. In Desperado, the surprises are often about religion's influence and how, even after tweaking a few aspects of history, many things stay the same. In this interview, we'll talk about that, about family, about the blood in our history. Please be advised that we do discuss death, racism, genocide, and the violence inherent to colonization, and not without some bleak humor. Take care of yourselves. Thank you so much for coming on to Radio Drama Revival, Sammy. We're really excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. So let's let's just get right into it, right? So you've you've got a screenwriting degree from the London Film Academy, and you're the writer of the uh, web series Haley and Henry, which is about yep. some hitmen hitmen for hire. Uh, <laughs> so what is it that you love about screenwriting, and what guided you into starting to write for audio? Uh, ooh, what do I love about screenwriting? Absolutely everything. It's, I think the main thing is I've always wanted, I've always had that frustration of wanting to do everything, not certainly being able to and wanting to be an artist, uh, a scientist, everything, and, and, and just knowing that I couldn't do all of them at once. And writing kind of allows me to do that. And I get, I get to build those characters, I get to build those words, those people I want to... I want to be those people I want to meet and get them to interact and seeing it specifically with with screenwriting seeing it come to to life with actors is exhilarating it's I absolutely love it. I'm in love with writing in general and initially I was a bit reluctant about writing for audio because I was trained to write for a visual medium for a few years and it just it did feel a bit like I wouldn't necessarily know what I would be doing. Uh, but then I absolutely loved it because it reminded me so much of novel writing, which is what I started with, um, that I just completely fell in love with it. And honestly, just being able to have that podium for the words 
only feels very satisfying because in screenwriting it's always less is more less is more less is more i know you can just <laughs> it feels like dessert basically the whole time yeah <laughs> <laughs> love that description feels like dessert yeah it it's does absolutely great. <laughs> so uh one of the best things about desperado is the the banter and the blossoming uh familial relationship between elios shinji and uh talia even amid their more problematic and dysfunctional uh -hmm. (laughs) like uh families uh biological families right yeah and it's the same in Haley and henry it's all about family and siblings dysfunctional and perhaps loving also in their own ways Uh, i cannot believe you watched the show (laughs) well i did i did watch it i watched it last night um (laughs) and i think that it is about siblings uh very dysfunctional um Perhaps loving, maybe, <laughs> if you squint and tilted your head. Yeah. Um. <laughs> we would. We we had planned on going to the 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 loving part eventually, but it's a bit more expensive than audio. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that's fair. Yeah. No, that's fair. I could I could like sort of see it coming, with like the ending to the first season where I was like, okay, well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's one of my that's one of my earliest project, and it was made. I'm I'm I still I mean I find it so much fun. Um, mm-hmm. That said, the first season specifically was written and and made and produced so quickly in in between courses, so I didn't have time to do as much as as we wanted with it. But it, it was still so much fun. Yeah, no, it looks like it was a lot of fun. Um, tell me about why it's important for you to portray. Uh, chosen and biological families in the way that you have right centralizing them in these various narrative styles well because i think i mean i have i do i do love uh, a found family in general and i do find i think in in my own life i had the dynamic basically of um having i mean especially growing up gay in morocco which is uh not the ideal setting <laughs> uh in a homophobic country in the closet and having that that huge part of yourself um that you can't reveal that you have to figure out on your own as a teenager uh was huge and made me close myself quite a bit to my family and then being able to to, to meet people that feel the the same way as you do uh that experience uh the same things as you or not and and have different perspectives and are able to completely open your word and be in that non-judgmental way that i think it it is very heartwarming to see uh more and more in the world overall uh it does seem to be the tendency uh it was just a huge liberation and yeah, I think I think it is important to the same level as uh, one day uh, leaving the the family home, getting to live on your own, and seeing who you really are through uh, the people you meet and the people you choose to surround yourself with is essential to growing up. And since I am, I was going to say I'm very much in that phase, but I think we stay in that phase pretty much our whole lives. Uh, it's very central to what I'm writing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we we love a found family. Um, <laughs> probably one of the more popular um, word. 
trope. Tropes. Mm-hmm. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> One of the more popular tropes in fiction podcasts. Uh, yeah. I've noticed. Which is very nice. Yeah. It is very self-indulgent as well. And I mean, I think especially fiction podcasts in general has been the, the, the medium so far, I think, uh, the, the gayest medium so far. <laughs> uh, maybe, uh, let's say, d- discounting, I was going to say literature, um, but not really. Fan fictions, I guess? <laughs> discounting fan fictions. I think audio fiction has been the gayest medium I've, uh, I've been in, and it's, it's a fucking delight. Can I swear on this? Yeah, you can swear, don't okay, worry. Okay, great. Um, I have a sales <laughs> mouth. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, it's been, it's been absolutely great. And well, one thing that, uh, most, I think, uh, LGBT people get to experience or want to experience is found family. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Mood. Um. <laughs> Big fucking mood. <laughs> so you've, uh, you've talked on Twitter about being frustrated that since this is an alternate universe where Vine would have been statistically <laughs> unlikely to exist, <laughs> Uh, you can't have your characters say yeet. <laughs> First of all, that's truly distressing. I'm sorry. I know. I know. It sucks. It fucking sucks. I just, <laughs> I use that word. And this is also like, I feel like it's kind of a good thing because I, I would just use it too much. <laughs> I'm just, I feel like for some reason I did put that limitation on myself in consciously because I was like, you can't do that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be every five pages, man. Just, oh. <laughs> We can't have that. So we have. We don't have Vine. We don't have TikTok, as far as I know. Um, and I think it's for it's to preserve the writing's uh, level. Let's say. Um, what kind of factors do you recommend people consider when they are creating alternate realities in order to determine what to keep and and what to get rid of? What to keep. That's a huge question. I might need a couple moments to think about it. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Sorry. Go ahead. Take as long as you need. <laughs> um, I think kind of a bullshit answer is what matters to you, obviously. Uh, I think it's also important to keep a lot of the bad stuff that we have in this world. Uh, because then being able to put that through another perspective in another world through different characters can be really enlightening and 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 a huge help even uh and also like it brings more stakes in generals and everything writing is about rising the stakes drama all that so i think the main thing to keep at heart obviously are the the main issues of this world or if you're going to get rid of one of those whether it is um the effects of capitalism, whether it's racism, xenophobia, everything. It's to really think about what would the, how would that change operate. And the further you can go, the better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of what I find fascinating overall with those alternate universes, being able to really dig deep, deep, deep into like centuries ago, millennia ago, and, and think of, uh, for example, I'm pretty sure that <laughs> to, to go back to Vine, the fact that Vine did not exist and because of that, because of like so many little references, so many, in a sense, a certain cultural part uh, that would not exist in this world and would not belong to an entire generation would have a lot of 
subtle effects on on mindsets, on uh, well, on on culture in general, and it is something that I find absolutely fascinating. So, as for what to get rid of, what to get rid of, I think what to get rid of then becomes really the the, the center part of your story, and so I'm I'm not sure I'd be able to to have like certain elements like go-tos to get rid of because then they are what forge your story and they are what you want to talk about and the themes you want to go through um so i think it would be very very personal and and unique for everybody but i would 100 percent encourage you to do it because it's fascinating <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so let's uh, let's discuss my favorite topic to bring up on this podcast: mm-hmm. colonization and its effect on everything. That class. <laughs> uh, in this case, uh, ancient and ancestral traditions and belief structures. Right. So in Desperado, what changes did you make or not make to the spread of Christianity? Huge question again. <laughs> well. Um, I would say one major change uh, I, I made, and that was very self-indulgent, is uh, having Christianity not spread uh, through Africa and potentially a part of Asia. But that's a bit of a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> but because I, I did find, find my way around it by uh, thinking about how in much older times, we would call them gods, but the first ever humans, let's say, uh, and the first ever religions uh, venerated entities and, and gods and goddesses uh, that would be very, very different from uh, the gods, the more recent gods, and whether it's Greek gods, Christianity, uh, more modern concepts. And my way around it is to say that because of those gods has centuries uh, of existence over the more recent ones, uh, they were a lot more powerful, and because they established themselves in Africa, were fairly untouchable in that in that continent. So that's one of the major changes, which means that Europe uh, not being able to rely on the resources from Africa would have to turn to exploration a lot sooner, which means uh, an earlier discovery of the Americas, and unfortunately. unfortunately still uh the same spread of violent christianity throughout the americas and that would be the major change what i'm very (laughs) pleased with is the connection between medias and cinema and the i'm thinking about fire Um, not emblazoning but the the explosion let's say of of christianity afterward um because i do think, not saying obviously that uh, those religions were not massive before medias and cinema, etc., but that did have a massive influence um, on how they can reach pretty much everybody. (laughs) Not necessarily reach, but unite, let's say, and, and connect them and make them feel really that there is something so much bigger and they could definitely see it now from uh, one coast to the other. Uh, and also a small reference to how Birth of the Nation reignited the KKK and all that shit in our world. So those would be the, mm-hmm. the, the major changes. 
Um, those would be the major changes. And yeah, I'm quite, I'm quite excited to get to, to, to explore that and also to bring some nuance into it because uh, the goal is not, oh, Christianity evil, uh, religion's evil. Otherwise, the three protagonists would not be believers. Uh, but like pretty much everything else, religion can be a formidable tool or a weapon. Simple as that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that um, something that you touched on here that I find really fascinating is the impact that the spread of Christianity had in, in our world on on the way that we portray them uh, in media and like how that filters through like our, our viewpoint since it is like basically like mass marketed alongside this uh, very white, right? Lens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's how you end up with those weird paintings of Jesus over Trump's shoulder and stuff like that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh no! Now I'm thinking about them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's important that everyone remembers that this is something that exists. Yeah. I really, I really yeah. came into this podcast and just like projected bad images into your mind. That's <laughs> <laughs> My job here is done. Shots <laughs> on goodbye. <laughs> so I'm going to ask a question that leads to another question about filtering through a white Christian lens. But why... Did you choose Gods of Death for your three protagonists? <laughs> um, one, I think the main reason is I've always been terrified by death. Uh, and so, which led me to ask myself a lot of questions about it, ask a lot of people about it, and just try to find some sort of answer, comfort, whatever it is. So it's always been uh, a big subject in my life. Um, and there is some sort of morbid fascination about it. And how different cultures, whether fear it, completely embrace it, see see it as something very normal, as just a part of life. And so there is there is this fascination first. But um, also the main goal, I think the main goal of the three protagonists is to kill a god. And so it did also feel more appropriate to have gods of death for that. Because that would be, I mean, that's that's the job, really. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it is, it is also the main theme of the podcast, um, having, having to, to, to kill God and not in a sense, uh, because it's not as, as simple as, as I said, as, oh, religion bad must kill God to be free. Um, it's more about killing the God that was imposed onto you and which I think is an essential part of growing up from yourself. Uh, and then figuring, have, getting to figure your, by yourself uh, what is it that you want, what is it that you believe in, without all those preconceived notions that were uh, thrown on you. And so for that to happen, I do think that you have to kill that God that was imposed on you. And then if, I mean, and then be able to embrace uh, whether it is no God or something that you simply believe in with more conviction. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you talked, uh, uh, of course, about, um, you talked here about, you know, fearing, fearing death and learning about 
other people's viewpoints on how death is part of their life or how they think about it, um, right, how they're raised to think about it. So what what is it about death and our perceptions of it from the white Christian lens that we get in media um, that is so different from, let's say, the other traditions that are depicted in Desperado? <laughs> Um, the one that we get the most often is that, I mean, from what I've seen, purely from what I've seen, is death being this 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 test, really, uh, of how well you performed in this life and how and what you deserve in the end. Uh, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, no pressure. It's fine. Just, yeah, eternal, eternal donation stuff like that. That's fine. Um, do you? Do we have rules? Yes, many, but. Not specific ones, or too specific, <laughs> and uh, uh? <laughs> I guess we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure. It out. You know what? When you get there, it's fine. when you get there. When you get there, <laughs> yeah, you'll just, you'll learn when you get there. Yeah, but don't do that though. <laughs> yeah. No, don't. it's it's it, it's. You've already failed if you're. <laughs> God, could you imagine? No, you died. You failed. I'm sorry. That's that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Y'all just keep doing that. it, huh? <laughs> yep. Oof. But yeah, no, it, it seemed like such this, this huge, huge, huge thing. I mean, it is, obviously. Um, but for example, one thing uh, that I found in both um, Mexican culture and Japanese culture is that death is a lot more part of life than... Uh, when you see it through that white Christian lens. Yeah, in Japan, I'm not sure how current this is, but I know that for a long, long time, and maybe it is still the case, but death was just a part of life. And it happens every, every day, uh, and it's perfectly normal, and it's, there's a certain peace with it. And the spirit that possesses Shinji, this, the same reason the spirit that possessed Shinji has not a particular name, it is simply a spirit of death. Uh, because in Japan, you pretty much have spirits for almost everything. They can possess objects, they can be uh, of notions, concepts. And spirit of death would, most of the time, help the person that just died, just simply accept it and guide them through the next step. And it's very, it's very peaceful. And that's something uh, I really enjoyed learning about. And in Mexican culture, I do find uh, the same thing to, to a certain level, not entirely. But there is this relaxation vis-a-vis -vis death that while it can be terrible, what it is, uh, it's not necessarily to be feared. Uh, and I do remember reading a quote that said, oh, who said that? But it was that in, in Mexican culture, death is a part of life. Simple as that. Uh, it's a, almost a daily companion. And I did, I did enjoy that a lot. In this, and also that from that could build more around the character of Katrina. And while she is the goddess of death, she is mostly called upon as a, as a protector. And I did, I, I just, there was something very comforting about that. So I absolutely love that. And that's uh, why Elio has the power that he has. As for Talia and conception, I mean, how death is viewed 
uh, in Haitian Vodou. That one, I think, is a bit closer to, a tiny bit closer to uh, the Christian one, mainly because Vodou has been heavily influenced by, by Christianity, which I'm not sure if people have uh, catched up on yet, but all the three protagonists are from cultures that at one point or another were heavily influenced by Christianity. Yep. <laughs> so whether they like it or not, and whether they will embrace it or not, they do have that as a part of their heritage. Uh, but to go back to, to, to Asian voodoo. That said, one thing I did find was a major difference uh, is that sometimes funerals can be uh, celebrations of life rather than this really, really tragic end. Uh, and so learning about all those differences and all these ways uh, to, to see death and experience death that I found particularly fascinating and I thought would be really interesting to have uh, coexist and exchange through those characters. I feel like I went so far away from the subject, I don't even remember the no, question. Nope. <laughs> I mean, you were answering the question, so you nailed it. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I, I grew up in a... Uh, I grew up in Puerto Rico, right? So I, I, I'm from one of these places where Spanish Catholicism landed and eradicated everything uh, with impunity. Mm. And I grew up in a, in a heavily, you know, Hispanic Catholic culture. Mm. Uh, and so... Yeah, this this approach to death as as something like as like a, a severe, a very severe grieving process that takes up everything and that you fear is like really sometimes ultimately harmful, I think. Yeah, I I think I, w I would agree with that, because even if it's not outwardly stated, most of the time it is, uh, it does start to feel like such a terrible, terrible thing that is to fear because if at that point you have not been a good person, achieved everything you should have been a perfect model, then you have failed. And that feeling also of, of, of huge failure of something so big waiting for you does make it feel like something you should fear and to a certain level that you can run away from. Because that's what, I mean, I think that's survival instinct mainly. And that's where, uh, <laughs> biology and, and mind get completely mixed up because your body says, okay, you should run away from that. You should run away from that. This is terrible. This is terrible. Your mind knows that you can't escape it. So it's just, it's, it's not going to go anywhere. And I do think that this way of seeing death of more as a part of the cycle as a daily companion would lead to a lot less anxiety. <laughs> a lot less. <laughs> Shout out to all the people uh, who get panic attacks listening to this and I'm right feeling, here. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> your brain thinking, I'm going to die right now. Mm -hmm. That said, I did, I did talk about death with quite a few people, uh, not necessarily even podcast related. It's just like that kind of yeah. conversation late at night. And I do have a couple friends that, for example, not necessarily believe in anything. Some of them that just believe that, you know, there might be something, I don't know what. Uh, but I know a couple of them that have this very, for them, death is nothing happens afterward. Uh, you simply go back to what it was before you were born. And it's, they view it in a very peaceful way. It's like, it's, I mean, as I said, it's just going to be relaxing. I don't have a schedule. 
<laughs> have a schedule? I have to be anywhere on Monday. There's no Monday. I'm dead. Yeah, I'm fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's no Monday. <laughs> I need that. I need that on a shirt. <laughs> we'll return in just a moment to our interview with Sammy. First, I want to alert you to a new opportunity we have for everyone at Radio Drama Revival. We're announcing the ticker tape, a hot new feature of our program starting in 2021. Here's how it works. You think up a message you want the RDR audience to hear. Then you pay us a nominal fee and I'll read it on the air. Whatever you like, within reason, as long as it's 60 seconds or less. Birthday messages, well wishes, casting announcements, your favorite recipe for baked ham. You can find out more at radiodramarevival.com slash ticker tape. And now, let's return to our interview with Sammy. Um, since we're already kind of talking about this, right, um... A lot of people struggle with respectfully incorporating cultures and folklore from communities of color or communities that they don't belong to in their fiction. Um, there was a recent piece, uh, Diverse Representation versus Invasive Representation by yep. Ellie Sita Pindolia. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Um, a great piece. I'm going to quote just one line from it, which is, uh, write characters of color, not stories of color, yeah. right? Which is really great advice for white writers in particular. Mm -hmm. um, but talk to me about your process in in writing Desperado and the work on this particular aspect that went into it. I think that's the what I put the most time in. And I mean, rightfully so, because it is so central to the story. And Ultimately, it is also a part of uh, how I build characters. Attaching them to a culture, to a heritage, to a history, I think just adds a lot of layers and a lot to to play with and to fight against. And it's it's fascinating dynamics. I think can only enrich your characters. Uh, heavily recommend it. But yeah, definitely do your research simple as that. Um, and make sure that it comes from a place of don't play with it. Simple as that. It is, those are concepts and stories and, and, and morals, uh, ideas that are centuries old, millennia old, that some people uh, have grown with, grown in, helped build, uh, and the, the, those heritage are so huge and so fascinating that I think, yeah, they, have to, they, they, they shouldn't be played with. Uh, they should only be showcased let's say mm -hmm. and which is why with this but the the line i'm dancing on is having that that parallel universe where then i can take some liberties that that are not seen just as a tool for the story but as as a mark of respect simple as that um and then being able to distance it enough because it is in a parallel universe that it doesn't feel like I'm just using those stories uh, for not using the stories, but just like taking the cool stuff I've seen online and putting it like, and giving them superpowers. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So it is, it, it is, I think, uh, essential to have that. Yeah. I was just thinking like, exactly. This is like the line for, for cultural appropriation, right? Like taking the cool stuff and then leaving behind everything else because, because you can. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah for completely. writers, uh, for everyone. Yeah, I mean, it comes, everything comes with a baggage. And usually, I mean, 
usually the baggage is the most interesting part. Uh, I mean, just taking the superpowers, like everybody, everybody's done it before. Um, there's, you're not going to invent anything, really. Uh, the most fascinating part is exploring those dynamics. And luckily enough, exploring those dynamics also, like, almost as a, as a side effect, suddenly means accurate representation and respect for representation. Um, I do try to be to, to be very careful with it, and it's also why I have those nuances, even within uh, the antagonist part of the story, where you have this this huge extremist uh, fanatic Christian threat. But there and there in the story, you do meet those few characters who are uh, Christians and simply do not hold the same beliefs as those fanatics. So yeah, I would never want to simplify it just as, oh, Christian bad. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, specifically <laughs> when I'm pretty sure a third of my cast is Christian, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine if this was the way I approached some of my actors? <laughs> like, hey, I'm just, I'm just making a show. We're going to dunk on your religion for like 20 hours. You in? <laughs> um. For people who did not grow up in households um, or communities that were heavily impacted by the colonization by Christians, what do you think they don't understand about the impact of Christianity that that you are explicitly addressing uh, in, in Desperado? Oh, I love that question. Because I'm, I'm so ready for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. Because <laughs> I, I cannot stop talking about this. Because Christianity and just in general religion affects daily lives of people, even those people that claim themselves to be atheist or whatever, whatever, to levels that they do not, that cannot imagine. Every like religion, whether you like it or not, has completely ah, words built. Uh, sculpted societies, uh, ways of thinking, uh, what is considered moral and what isn't, and down to uh, relationship dynamics, family dynamics. And my usually my go-to example is as simple as monogamy. Monogamy is fundamentally Christian. And yes! <laughs> <laughs> fundamentally Christian. And whether you like it or not, if it is... And it, it can entirely be uh, the way you want to be and feel more comfortable in uh, in a relationship, but you do have to be aware that it is a religious concept, and yeah. not even that a fairly recent one as that. Uh, and so it was really a f it was a friend of mine that actually highlighted that detail for me, and it really made everything clicked at once because I suddenly realized how deep religion is pre like. Yeah, how, how deep it goes and how present it is in your daily life. It's, I mean, it, 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 define, it defines what is acceptable, what isn't. And there's very, very, very few people in the through countries in the world that can... I still believe that, that I don't think there's any country in the world that can claim itself as without a specific belief. Uh, which is also one of the main reasons I'm fairly frustrated at France in general, because it keeps... <laughs> it keeps claiming itself it is uh what's the word in, in, in english like no no religion like it is that yes religion religion and like state are separated non-denominational yeah religion and state are separated yes um but in its 
in its people and its belief, it is very, very fucking Christian. Okay. And that's and that's fine, but just admit it. Yeah. Like it's just that. <laughs> and it's great that you separated the two um on an administrative level. I do think it helps a lot. But yeah, there that element I it's just the element of not admitting it basically that bothers me to a level. <laughs> The hypocrisy <laughs> of it. Like, yeah, we are, we are. Absolutely. Ugh, it's, it, it's frustrating. But yeah, it's, it, is, it is something to look at. And then it really makes you question, oh, um, is that what I want? Or again, is that the God that was uh, thrown on me? And I never thought about questioning before. And even when I don't believe, uh, I don't believe in, yeah, uh, say you do not believe in any God, you do not believe in religion, there is nothing after, uh, after life, you just die, et cetera, et cetera. Then why do you do the things you do? Why do you believe in the things you do? Why do you like certain stories, certain movies, certain people? Those religion runs so deep. And I think that is the fascinating part about it, is that it can create those, those societies, those huge monuments. Those, there is a magic power in it. Uh, that's something I've to some <laughs> realized, let's say, but thinking how just this organized belief, uh, this union in, in those, yeah, this union can make people build cathedrals, uh, reign over countries, empire, that's, that's magic. <laughs> and it's, it is important to recognize the huge power it has and the amazing things it can do and the terrible things it can do on a major scale and on a very, very, very personal scale. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like the statement, right, about it's magic. A lot of people, at least in the U.S., I think, when you say things like, oh, that's magic, it's always a positive thing. Mm. That's not how that, no. No, it's a, it's a force. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so it's talking about like, yeah, force. Like yeah. The ability to like change reality. Yeah. And I think that that's something that we're seeing a lot of right now, at least, you know, in the U.S. Absolutely. especially, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier about France, you know, separating um, religion and the state. And then like here in the U.S., like as you were talking about that, I was just, of course, thinking about, yeah, like we like to talk about how, you know, church and state are separated. But are they really? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Are they really? In, when? Pra <laughs> in practice? <laughs> It's on paper, yeah, but would you, yeah, <laughs> do you really think that you could, I mean, why does the president have to swear on a Bible, pretty much? Simple as that. I mean, yeah, technically can swear on whatever, whatever they yeah. want, but. So, Desperado is an urban fantasy, um, and urban fantasy as a genre is, is often a really tense field because of rampant cultural appropriation um, and also really unbearable uh, cis heteronormative approaches yep. to both romance and relationships in general. <laughs> um, so when you were creating Desperado, what tropes or common standards of urban fantasy did you purposefully reject? Well, I think for starter, because uh, as I mentioned before, it is all about exploring the, the, the deep way religion is in everyday life. Mostly cis-normativity, um, not monogamy, but the questioning the, the validity of monogamy as the primordial, the, the, main, <laughs> the main way to be in a relationship. Men and women dynamic, uh, just gender dynamics in general, uh, which is uh, very timely for this week's episode. 
No spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I just wanted it to be more of what I know and what I've experienced, which is just in general more diverse and not just, oh, medieval concepts in modern times. Great. <laughs> Great, do, yeah. Without that. <laughs> We've never seen that before. No, never. <laughs> but mainly one thing I, I don't think I, I see enough is this mix of culture. Uh, because it does create those fascinating dynamics and it is more and more common. And it's just a joy, really, to, to, to get to write, to witness, to experience, to live. And, and just seeing... Oh, as I said, medieval concept, modern times, and all of that is just uh, the same thing all over again, but there's magic, is just a bit bland. And there is so much more to this world, to and, and, and so much more to a word that you could invent with just those little tweaks, that I just feel it's a bit of a waste not to have them. And what's well, interesting, um, in TV, have you seen The Boys? I have not seen The Boys. But I have read a lot about the boys. You've read it. So it's almost like I've seen it. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> but for example, you have the, you have this world of um, people with like superheroes, and they're very down to earth. They're pretty fucked up and stuff like that. But throughout, like pretty much halfway through season one, one of my first question was like, okay, does like does everybody else in the world have access to that? Because one, I'm pretty sure it'll be pretty fucking hard not to get smuggled somewhere. And then how different culture would uh, see it, use it, appropriate it is fascinating. It just felt like a huge, huge um, part that is mostly, not completely, unexplored. And it did kind of make it click for me that it is something I didn't see enough and that I really wanted uh, in the landscape. And also diversity is not that fucking hard. Like, <laughs> it's not... <laughs> It's not that hard to have people from different backgrounds and, and, and create cool fucking stories about it. It's just not that hard. It's so much fun. Like, what's the fucking problem? This is, this is how I feel sometimes. <laughs> this is how I feel when, uh, when I'm, like, putting together, like, panels and when I'm seeing other people put together panels and, and lineups for conferences and seeing how white everybody else's are and i'm just like it's not it's not that hard and it's it's it, it's not even coming from a place of like listen you know what let's just make the quotas whatever it's coming from like oh i don't have that point of view and it would be so interesting to have it why why not why not because it's, it's not it's just not that hard i don't know it comes mostly from a place of laziness i think i mean did you know just uh, not not mentioning racism and stuff like that because that's the obvious <laughs> right uh, but it's Beside that, it, it, it seems mostly like laziness and also a bit of a lack of awareness, like not having been exposed to all those different points of view, I can understand not necessarily feeling that you're missing something. Mm -hmm. Other than that, if yes. you have, and if you are on social medias, if you consume modern medias, you must have been exposed to some sort of other culture. So how can you not feel that like you'd be missing something by not putting everyone around the table? Yeah. I think that it also, on top of that, also comes from like a a place of fear for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, right? Since we, we did talk a little bit earlier about like how difficult it is to feel like you're doing it right. 
Mm-hmm. And so I think that I, I have encountered a lot of people who are afraid of not doing it right. And so they don't do it at all, mm. except the only way that you can start doing it right is if you start doing it. <laughs> Basically, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and accept that you're going to get it wrong at some point. Yeah. And just talk to it's it's an opportunity. It's it, it can be scary. It can be like, oh, I don't know what where, where to go around that, how to do it, how to blah that. It's what are you going to do about it? Are you just not going to do it? Are you going to do it badly, knowing that you don't really know what you're going to do, or just take it as some sort of opportunity to open yourself and reach out and do the scary thing. Let's say, oh, I'm going to ask those questions. I'm going to do those research. I'm going to take the extra step, and I'm going to learn a lot more. And I think that if you are a writer there is must be some part of you that is fascinated by research and learning more and learning and wanting to be as i said in the beginning all those different people mm-hmm. uh if if there isn't that i don't know what you're why bother writing really if there's no fun in it um, yeah <laughs> genuinely so yeah just again it's 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 not that hard if it comes from a place of fascination it it won't seem it just won't seem hard it'll be fun it's like, oh my God, I just found that cool concept. I can ask that person about that. Uh, oh, they don't reply. Let's just ask that other person. Let's just blah, blah, blah. And then, oh, but, but and suddenly you make a fucking friend along the way. Isn't that great? <laughs> <laughs> so it's an opportunity to just open yourself to people, to the word, to new concepts. And it's, it's just great. Um, mm-hmm. And not doing it is, is a bit of a waste. I can, I can see how it is daunting. Like to some level, it still worries me sometimes that I'm not getting some stuff right. But there, there are solutions to that. You just do your research, you ask some people, and you also acknowledge that there is no perfect way to do it. There is a right way to do it, but there's no perfect way to do it. And if you do receive criticism for it, do make sure that the criticism also comes from uh, if it is valid, then, you know, just uh, acknowledge it, do better. Uh, it's not a bad thing. Everybody makes mistakes. That's all right. And it's not a shameful do better. It's like, okay, my bad. Uh, didn't intend that. Uh, I will apologize, correct it. Uh, it's not a shameful thing. It's simply learning. Yeah. There is, there is, shame is something I want to talk about a lot in this podcast, but I don't think I've, because there is so much plot stuff going on that I haven't, I haven't <laughs> even got around to it. But shame is a fascinating subject, especially shame in religion. It's, Mm-hmm, could mm-hmm. not find something more comorbid than these two best pals. <laughs> yeah. Comorbid is a good word. Choice. I know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no shame into it. Um, and yeah, as I said, there's, if you do receive criticism, there is also criticism that simply won't be valid sometimes because you simply cannot represent everybody. And that's fine. But just make sure that whatever you represent, it comes from a good place. And it comes from a place of acknowledgement that you're not trying to do everything. You're just trying to do this one thing. And I think that will just take a lot of it off because I do see that pressure of like, oh, I'm not doing everything right. Especially when it comes to culture and religion, there's not like one specific way that will fit everybody. Because people aren't a monolith. Simple yeah. as that. So I'm I'm sure that somewhere there are a few people that would probably uh, think that the way I've portrayed myth, legends, religion, and those characters could be offensive or could be um, clunky uh, or disrespectful. My answer to that mainly would be, I mean, first listening and seeing if it actually does concern my story or if it comes more of a knee-jerk reaction 
of suddenly seeing critiques of something that's never been criticized in their uh, bubble. Uh, and if the criticism is coming simply from a place of, oh, uh, this is something that matters a lot to me, and I don't appreciate it being used in that story, my answer would simply be that this is not it, that this is not your, one, this is to a level, it might not be yours, simple as that, it might be your conception of, of religion, and I'm representing simply another one, and you are assimilating the two, um, and that could be a dangerous thing. But yeah, I think if it comes from a, a place of, of honesty, of, of, of fascination, and of respect, I don't think you can do it wrong, really. So um, if there is something that you would like to discuss or bring up um, that we haven't talked about in this interview so far, uh, now is the time. Uh, I think we kind of touch on all my favorite subjects, honestly. And I would, I would talk a lot more about shame and religion, but because I haven't really like touched on it on the podcast yet it doesn't seem that relevant unfortunately but and even then i feel like i kind of denied myself opportunities for it in the sense that like nobody like shinji doesn't have really any issues with being gay nobody around him have, has any issues with being gay uh oh that was going to be a spoiler actually not the shinji thing but what i was about to say <laughs> that character <laughs> also yeah, that character also doesn't have any issues with that thing <laughs> <laughs> so i kind of denied myself opportunities to talk about shame yet um, but also it is fairly intentional in the sense that it gets tiresome sometimes like, oh, okay. The same dilemma over uh, again of like, um, different sexuality, different, uh, different gender identity, um, being seen and conceived in a shameful way, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of, it's fairly relaxing to just have characters that live it. And it's very, yeah, it's relaxing. It's relaxing as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it nice? Yeah, I don't have to it's worry about. Like, yeah. Fuck the closet. Fuck closet dynamics. We've done. We've done it. We've done it. We've <laughs> seen it. It's it's done. Stop. Yeah, I think there's something to be said about having having the balance of the balance of like historical like reality and and what to not have anymore. Like like you said, getting rid of closet dynamics and and the shame that's associated with it and not dealing with it specifically in the podcast. Um, yeah. Like deciding that just wasn't going to be an issue and focusing instead on the other very real things that come alongside um, everything that we've talked about, right? About colonization um, and so forth. I mean, um, also, if you're going to talk about the closet again, might as well talk about how to a certain level, it's not that you never really get out of it, but you do have a closet you can hop in and off uh, depending on which situation and stuff like that. And that is a much already a much more interesting topic than just, ooh, closeted. Which And then, oh, I'm out of the closet and that's it. I never have to do that again. Like I don't have to come out to every other person I meet and blah, blah, blah. Right, which is not true because you're yeah. constantly coming out of the closet. Like. Yeah, yeah. So if you're going to talk about the closet, at least like do that. Just yeah. Do that. Nuance? <laughs> in in my internet i <laughs> know <laughs> oh, we don't do that here we don't we don't <laughs> yeah never heard of it never experienced that emotion i don't even know her <laughs> <laughs> i think i heard of it 
Well, thank you so much for, for coming on to Radio Drama Revival. It was really wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a delight to, to, to speak with you. And I absolutely love the show, love everything that you do for <laughs> genuinely everything that you do, especially for, for people like me that are just starting and just for audio drama in general. Uh, you guys are an amazing catalyst and you're just like a force of good in in this landscape and it's just so nice it's just so nice that you exist genuinely thank you <laughs> you can support Sammy Suisi and Desperado on Patreon at patreon.com slash desperado underscore podcast Radio Drama Revival runs on ancient creaking water wheels and whatever the opposite of the trickle-down economy is. If you'd like to help keep us afloat and featuring new, diverse, unique fiction podcasts and their creators, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash radiodramarevival. And now we bring you our moment of will, the final one of the season. Hi! I don't have anything interesting to say at all, except I'm just really happy that 2020 is over. I know that the changing of a year is a metaphor only, that there's no real significance to it. However, isn't there? Isn't there? Uh, so I say to you, 2020, uh, fuck off and die uh, forever. Bye. Uh, and audience, I hope you have a much better 2021 than you had a 2020, unless you had a great 2020. You didn't have a great 2020. Let's be real. <laughs> uh, if you had a great 2020, I don't think you're... I feel like... I don't feel like good people had a good 2020. Um, anyway, all that is to say, I hope you have a much better 2021 than you had a 2020. And uh, by 2020, I hate you. Um, we'll see you all next season. And it will be good. And it will be great. Okay, bye! <laughs> that means, once more, it's time for the credits. This episode was recorded in the unceded territory of the Kalapuya people, the Klitskani Indian tribe, the Kaolitz Indian tribe, and the Atfalati tribe. Colonizers named this place Beaverton, Oregon. If you are looking for ways to support Native communities, you can donate to the Navajo and Hopi COVID-19 Relief Fund linked in our episode description below or at www.navajohopisolidarity.org. It is organized by Yeha Othnido, a grassroots and indigenous-led nonprofit organization. Our theme music is Reunion of the Space Ducks by the band Kylo Kaz. You can find their music on Free Music Archive. Our line producer and associate interviews producer is Will Williams. Our senior interviews producer is Eli Hamada McElveen. Our associate producer is Sean Howard. Our researcher is Heather Cohen. Our social media manager is Ann Baird. Our submissions editor is Rashika Rao. Our executive producers are Fred Greenhalgh and David Reinstrom. Our mascot is Ticker Tape, the goat. I'm your host, Elena Fernandez Collins. This has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers, welcome. <laughs>